The Real People Real Coffee Podcast, sharing stories and advice from people of all walks of life, making an impact in the San Joaquin Valley and beyond, and inspiring young professionals and sharing advice from those with more experience, all over a cup of coffee. Tune in on Anchor, find us soon on iTunes, and also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Hey there, I'm Ryan. And I'm Brittany. And you're listening to the PageMaster Book Review Podcast, the podcast where we break down the latest and greatest novels climbing up the charts. So if you're unsure of where to start your reading, want to hear different news on some of your favorites, come on in, pour yourself some coffee, and make yourself at home where we dive into your next read. Happy whatever day you're listening this to on. <laughs> For us, we are <laughs> recording on a beautiful uh, Saturday morning, afternoon. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to things up, we are going to have a different uh, format for you. Uh, so first things on today's episode, you can expect us to start things off with some of the happenings going on in the publishing world. Then we're going to be going into our read for the week, which is Marie Benedict's The Only Woman in the Room. And then finally, we'll end things off with what we've been reading outside of our weekly selection. Um, So to kick things off, um, back in March, right when all this corona craziness started, Reese Witherspoon's book club, Reese's book club, Hello Sunshine, uh, wanted to start to support small businesses and specifically uh, small bookstores. So one of the ways that you can support your local bookstore um, is to go ahead and just read a passage or a short story that's something uplifting or something meaningful and go ahead and share it on Instagram and all social media uh, with the hash with, with the hashtag save a bookstore. Um, go ahead and talk about your favorite bookstore, your favorite memories and what you enjoy specifically about your bookstore. Um, or if you want, you can also head to uh, binkfoundation.org, um, the book industry charity. Um, they are going to be donating assistance to these small bookstores to help them get over during these troubling times. Um, so yes, you can find that at b-i-n-c-foundation.org furthermore uh, some other exciting news I'm not sure about you but I myself I have been binging TV non-stop if I'm not reading and uh, recently Hulu is streaming not one but two uh, bestsellers the first one is Celeste Ng's Little Fires Everywhere which amazing like if you have not read that that is definitely that should be on your top your top list of uh to be read that features um elena richardson she's kind of you know your june cleaver housewife mother uh she rents out her extra house to mia and pearl warren 
Uh, Mia's an artist, and she's kind of a rebel and does things in her own ways, and quite frankly, she scares Elena because she breaks all the rules, and she still sort of get what, gets what she wants. Uh, tensions flare when Mia helps a friend try to win custody back of the, the child that she gave up for adoption. Of course, things complicate further when their children start having a Romeo and Juliet sort of affair. Next, we have Sally Rooney's Normal People, which is, honestly, it's a very millennial take on romance and love. You have Connell and Marianne, complete polar opposites. Connell is your well-to-do athlete, popular in high school. And Marianne's that weird girl. After a conversation, they find themselves irrevocably drawn to each other. And despite how many times they walk away from each other, they keep finding themselves drawn back. Um, So that is definitely, both shows have been getting so much praise. And it's not hard to see why. Those are going to be some pretty pretty big novels to uh to get through in the sense of just how like how much is packed into them even though they're so short um and turning over to what's going on in the literary world um i believe you've you have some up-and-coming titles or some anticipated releases for us brit yeah, so there's uh, two books that are being released uh, this month, actually, that are very highly anticipated in the book community. Uh, the first one, I think everyone's probably heard of it, is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, obviously the writer of the Hunger Games trilogy. Um, and I'm not the biggest fan of prequels, but I'm really excited for this one because this one, uh, which gets released, I believe, May 19th, um, it's going to revisit the world of Panem about like 64 years before the events of the Hunger Games. Um, so it starts the morning of the reaping of the 10th Hunger Games and it follows uh, Snow. Actually, he's 18 years old. He's preparing to basically be a mentor in the games for someone from District 12. So that is really, really exciting to see that kind of see how he starts off as a character and also just the early Hunger Games. Um, I'm intrigued to see how it kind of plays out because it's 64 years before the, you know, what we know as the Hunger Games. Um, and then the other one is actually the book club pick for Barnes & Noble. Should be released either this next week, I think. Um, it's called All Adults Here by Emma Straub. This book is definitely going to be like a family-oriented book. It's said here to be a warm, funny, and keenly perceptive novel about the life cycle of one family as kids become parents, grandchildren become teenagers, and the matriarch confronts the legacy of her mistakes. So it basically follows a mom who has three children, and she's got this like secret is what they're saying, is like what it's saying basically. Um, but she's wondering whether or not like she did the right thing as a parent. And it follows her three children, which I don't have written down here, but it follows the four of them as a family and kind of going through their issues growing up and all of that. So definitely a family-oriented book that I'm excited for. Um, If you haven't seen the cover for it, Ryan, it is beautiful. (laughs) Um, I'm really excited for that one, too. So, And I think that does come out this Tuesday. 
Possibly. I, I went ahead and already placed my orders for those. You should too. And then to kind of wrap things up about what's going on in, um, out there in the publishing world, um, if you haven't been following on Instagram, uh, Reese Witherspoon also went ahead and revealed her selection for her book club, Hello Sunshine. Uh, the Henna Artist by Alka Joshi is about, uh, I know I'm going to butcher this name, so forgive me. Uh, Lakshmi Shastri has spent years carving out a life for herself as a henna artist after fleeing her abusive husband and backward world uh, for the Rajasthan capital. Well-versed in apothecary and the miraculous properties of herbs, her services, the effects of which are far more than just aesthetic, are highly sought after by upper-caste women. And Lakshmi's success brings her with an interest from her and her country's ultimate goal, total independence. That is, until the past she has so desperately tried to run from comes knocking at her door. And I, even though I haven't started it yet, I will say that so far I have not been disappointed by any of Risa's selections. I love that she focuses on stories about women, for women, by women, uh, complete and total empowerment, something that I think we can always, always use no matter what. Um, and then, of course, we are going to get started right now into our reading. She possessed a stunning beauty. This almost certainly saved her from the rising Nazi party and led to marriage with an Austrian arms dealer. She also possessed a stunning mind. Underestimated, she overheard the Third Reich's plan while at her husband's side, understanding more than anyone would guess. She devised a plan to flee in disguise from their castle, and the whirlwind escape landed her in Hollywood. She became Heidi Lamar, screen star. But she kept a secret even more shocking than her heritage or her marriage. She was a scientist, and she knew a few secrets about the enemy. She had an idea that might help the country fight the Nazis, if anyone would listen to her. Could the world handle both? So what were your first takes of the uh, of the book? So I enjoyed the book. I actually did not know who Hedy Lamar was. I'm very <gasps> bad with yeah, I'm very bad with yeah. the names though. I know. And I said that to someone. I said, I think it took me like 25 pages to realize I was actually reading a book about someone uh like a you know an actual accurate person like there out there in the world. Uh so I didn't know who she was and I felt kind of dumb after that, but I don't do very well with names. Period. Um and so when I started reading it I started to be like, God, I do not like this character. I don't like this. I don't like how the author's necessarily writing this character. When I realized she was an actual person, it made me kind of read it a little differently. Um, But I I have a few thoughts on the book, which we'll get into, I think, more when we get into the questions of the book. But um, it, it was it was good. If you could, if you could kind of make like a sandwich for us, you know, like a positive area of improvement and then another positive. So I think a positive is um, the last quarter of the book. 
Um, the last quarter of this book focuses on that stunning mind that the description gives you, like who Hedy Lamar, like who she was as a person versus like her career as an actress. Um, what I did not like about this, considering it's a fictional telling of this person, I felt like Marie Benedict could have done a better job of like focusing more on her mind versus like the marriage to um, Fritz because I felt like the first like three quarters of well maybe the first half of the book focused really just on that marriage and didn't really focus a ton on you know her herself and then um, I just felt like she could have done a better job of telling that part of her like Hedy Lamar's story versus I feel like most of it focused on the marriage and then her career as an actress but the last quarter of the book had me going because that's when you got you found out like that's where the scientist in her came out and that's where she invented what she invented and that's where a lot more of her ideas came out um another positive though is i think kind of how hetty like got out of her bad marriage how she moved like how she decided that she was going to be her own person i really enjoyed that part of like her individuality I guess as like especially in that time in the 1940s like that is a really hard time for women um with the war going on and then also obviously with her background as being Austrian so I think her the positive is just that character in general like I think she's a really like very fascinating person um and I actually when we're done recording this plan on going to look at some of the movies she did and also look up kind of who she was because I I'm very intrigued with her person so I like what she what marie benedict decided to write about that's for sure what about you do you have any what are you oh yeah definitely uh kind of touching off the last point um i even though i haven't read um marie benedict's first few books um i do love the fact that she does feature um traditionally you know overlooked women in history i definitely feel that it's not that they're not stories about women in history. It's just the fact that, yeah, they're, they're overlooked by, you know, supposedly, you know, greater men or what have you. Um, they're always just seen so, uh, what's the word, like either complimentary to what a man has done or, yeah, just like they, with very few exceptions, there have been um, maybe a handful of women who've like had the full spotlight on them that didn't require a man being a part of the story in a in a significant way, right. and with with Heidi, yeah, I mean myself, you know, <laughs> I'm a huge theater queen, and so you know, like I I grew up with you know with my grandma watching a bunch of old time films, you know, breakfast at Tiffany's Gilda gentlemen prefer blondes, you know, just, you know, huge classic Hollywood blockbusters. And, you know, very rarely would I learn about, you know, who the person was when the camera wasn't rolling. Um, So yeah, definitely having insight into, you know, the like the intelligence of of someone like Lamar 
who was you know, so influential in you know creating certain technologies it, it was really mind-blowing for me and i loved how well and we'll also get more into this but i guess another positive was myself it's very hard for me to find like a style of writing that i don't like um i find myself particularly drawn to you know first person narrative as well and um journal entry writing i love that just because it gives you so much insight to how their mind works um so those are like my two biggest uh my two biggest takeaways something that i don't want to take though is a very quick commercial break but we'll be right back And we are back from our wonderful break. And to switch things off, I kind of wanted to touch upon, you know, what themes were prevalent to you in this novel? I will say the first one for myself that I pulled was, it's going to be hard to phrase, but I think it's the theme of knowledge in the sense of, you know, being a you know, being a woman at that time, you are meant to listen and observe. However, with Heidi, she was able to listen and observe, not necessarily to what was being said, but to what was not being said. She was able to you know, infer a lot Um during her marriage to uh, Fritz Mandel, you know, she you know, she paid attention, you know, to every detail, and that was kind of, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, how can I say this? So I, I would say that a lot of men presume that, and especially during their time and age that just because of their sex, you know, women were already less than in every every sense of the way or every sense of the word, including, you know, intelligence and attention to detail. If, uh, if you know, Fritz had any right mind, and you know, for, for a while he did, you know, you know, he would make sure that Heidi nowhere near where the business uh, was taking place. But, you know, she worked her way and, again, really reading Fritz and the men around him, worked her way into those rooms and, you know, played the dutiful housewife. And, you know, she played demure, soft, and silent. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I guess it's also a matter of subservience and dominance where you just assume that because someone is silent, they're going to be falling in line and that, you know, they quote unquote know their place. So, I mean, that's, uh, if that makes any sense, that's why I, I, I would say knowledge is one of the big themes for me. Yeah. There was some underlining things that I kind of, tended to like focus on while reading this also 
one of them being domestic violence. Um, the first half of the book, you follow Heidi, you know, married to Fritz. And you just see, like, one, red flags in the beginning, but also just their marriage um, became abusive towards the end. And so that was uh, kind of hard to read, but I think she's still trying to make sure that that was a point. Granted, I did read her author's note, and one of it said that she there's actually not a ton of information on the marriage. Um, but, she, you know, there were rumors and all of this that went around at that time, so she kind of put... I think she said that she kind of fictionalized that, but still there was that domestic violence like undertone to it. Um, and then towards the end, of course, there's a lot of, um, you know, like sexism in the book towards her because she is a woman, just like you said. And so I think those are the two of the things that while I was reading, I was like, oh, these are, you know, some things that she's definitely trying to focus on and like in Heidi's like life. Um and especially the sexism part, because I think Heidi kind of, you know, struggles with that, obviously, the entire, her entire life, um, especially towards the end, when you realize that she, you know, has studied science and is very knowledgeable about science, but she's also a woman in the 1940s. And she's an actress being put out there and a lot of, you know, actresses in that time. And she talks about this a lot. Um, you know, they are a pretty face on a screen. And so that's how she's being perceived, you know, from the entire country. Um, and she's also trying to do, you know, her part in the war. And she doesn't want to just be a pretty face, but she's having a hard time, um, you know, making people believe she's more than a pretty face. So those are two things that that I kind of read through and that, that kind of kept in because even as she like dated men after Fritz, um, you know, after that divorce, she's still like worried about that. Like, is he going to raise, you know, a hand to me? Is he going to treat me the same way that Fritz did? And that was really, that was sad to read too. Cause you realize, you know, she as an actual person probably had the same exact feelings in all of her relationships. Cause that just kind of goes with you, but. No, yeah, it's, it's definitely sad, but I mean, it, you know, you definitely understand why. I mean, she's, she's a survivor from the very beginning. I mean, she chose to go into the marriage, you know, as a form of protection. And so, I mean, I can't necessarily, you know, I don't fault her at all for the choices that she made and including staying in the marriage as long as she did. You know, it was a matter of survival at that time. It's either, you know, what would you rather have? Would you rather get, you know, gunned down in, in Auschwitz or you know, would you rather take the slap on the face occasionally I mean, it's, it's a do, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I mean, at, at least if you uh, take what I say with a huge grain of salt, I'm just saying that, you know, if, you know, you're getting struck across the face and you're not, you know, locked up in a matter of speaking, you know, like you can attempt to flee and have a decent chance of getting away as compared to you know, being trapped in one of one of the camps. You know, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's an impossible choice and, you know, you, also, do what you have to survive. My, uh, go ahead. Uh, my coworker had read this book also. And when we were reading it, I told her, I said, they got married like years before the war broke out. 
And I know that that doesn't mean that people weren't planning for this war to happen because there were obviously like years and years of preparing for that war to actually happen and a lot of tension that took place. But I looked at my friend and I said, her parents just sent her to, you know, her deathbed basically because they put her, it was her parents that were really like forcing her hand in marriage. And I know that she felt like she had her own choice, but I mean, look at how her parents sat there and was like, you need to marry this guy. And you need to keep us safe. And for me, I was like, you're only keeping three of you safe versus why don't you guys just leave? Like, and I know it's a hard decision. And I I don't know what I would have decided if I had been in their shoes. But I was like, fight it from a different angle because I didn't feel like that was really protecting her at all. I felt like it was just putting her closer to, you know, the larger issues, honestly. Um, yeah, kind of putting the lion's den, so to speak, you know. Yeah. And I just, that was hard for me to read because I've been witness to domestic violence. It was really hard to be like, you're her. And they couldn't have known. She had no idea that Fritz was going to be that person. And you see that what like early on. Because at first you, you meet him and you're like, oh man, he's the man of my dreams. <laughs> and then, you know, day one after the wedding, you realize he's been faking it basically. But I don't know. I feel like decisions could have been made differently, but it's also these are real life decisions that she made. So you can't imagine what she had been forced to decide in that moment, honestly, like what she was actually thinking since this is a fictional retelling. But yeah, definitely. Another um, another topic or theme that came to mind was um, the one of acting and duality in the sense that, you know, before even before she was a Hollywood star, um, Heidi was acting at the Vienna Theater for quite some time, and um, she was so beautiful, she attracted the attention of Fritz. And I think that experience, it, it certainly helped her um, as, a, as an actor. You have, to, you have to be able to pull emotion from deep within at the drop of a hat at the same time be able to keep your composure and i think that it's one of those like life imitates art kind of things when it came to uh fritz and heidi's marriage um it's how, how can i say this it's kind of like playing a house if you will and it's also like playing a game of chicken where you know you you exude certain you know certain motions and emotions to you know wheedle what you want from the other person and you know i think you know obviously i feel like heidi was a lot more was a lot more skillful at that as opposed to fritz he was more more rash and <laughs> uh didn't necessarily have the patience that you know that uh, that Heidi did, but that was also a luxury. You know because up until you know towards you know towards the later part of their marriage, you know he didn't have as much to lose as Heidi did. Uh, so that definitely uh, stuck out to me. Uh, any thoughts on that? No, I think you pretty much pinned that. I mean, um, she did a really good job of throughout their entire marriage of being able to put that mask on and her, you know, role as an actress later on in life. Like she was 
obviously very seems I haven't seen any of her work obviously but she seems like she was an exceptional actress and so yeah I agree with you she she did a really good job at being able to take that role that she had previously and take it into her marriage but also into her I feel like that was what she was kind of she very much enjoyed acting so something that we don't enjoy is yet another commercial break but we will be right back and we are coming back from another commercial break oh, so now it is time for one of my fun parts our real uh, the real discussion begins uh, so the first one that I wanted to bring up was the very first question um, the Woman in the Room opens in Aus- Austria at a pivotal time in the years leading up to World War II, just before Hitler annexes Austria. How familiar were you with the events of this era, particularly their European political developments and the relationship of Austria with Italy, Germany, and its other neighbors? Did you learn anything new about this period in history? Does the European perspective about the onset of war differ from what we are taught as Americans. Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm not uh, a history buff at all. <laughs> um, it's actually a reason why I started reading historical fiction, because historical fiction gives me a way to learn about these things without me having to necessarily like read like a textbook type history book, you know? Um, so I do know a lot about World War II post Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot before Pearl Harbor. So, which honestly, I think with that, uh, that question of like, sorry, I lost it. Okay. So I know a lot about post World War II because I think that's really what we focused on in history classes is not post World War II, sorry, post Pearl Harbor. That's where we really focused our studies. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of touched on Austria in school, but never really like, yeah, I like it, was it, was really like, like, it was very brief. Like maybe like you spend yeah. maybe 30 minutes on it and then, okay, we're next. Here's Pearl Harbor and everything that happened after. So, and I mean, that, granted, that's when the United States got involved was Pearl Harbor. But it still was just very much like that's my knowledge on the subject. So I was very happy to read the like political points of view in this book and obviously learned a lot more of what about like uh you know, Hitler, Mussolini, stuff like that, kind of their ideas before, you know, the war really got to its peak. But um, that's... Like, what was, like, I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to say, like, what was really scary was, like, how reflective it was. Like, just, like, reading, like, reading, reading this book. And then, you know, if you turn on the news today, you know, well, at least before Corona, um, it's just such a huge mirror image when you look at the rise of nationalism with Trump and his supporters. You know, what does he do? He goes ahead and starts blaming any and every minority for a country's problem. And <laughs> yeah, you, you start to see you know, small little tiny laws changing that slowly affect 
the lifestyle of certain minorities and that's definitely what we saw in in this novel in regards to you know specifically um how jews in austria were slowly starting to have their treatment of them change so i mean it was just (laughs) i was it's i was both shocked and laughing but not surprised it's just it's just bewildering how humanity does not learn, you know. Um, I think, though, that Europeans... I'm not going to say... It's hard for me to say which side took rise in nationalism more seriously. Because, I mean, there hasn't been... Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I think Europeans did a better job in responding to it in the sense that, like... You know, if you look at, you know, Germany now, it's, um, or at least at least from what I've heard from certain friends, it's like, you know, there are no memorabilia or Nazi statues left unless they're in a museum, you know. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing that they keep standing and in good condition to positively remember, um, you know, the Holocaust. Whereas with the U.S., you know, you look at, you know, Confederate statues and, you know, people still waving Nazi flags and Confederate flags proudly on their front, on their front uh, lawn, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if that makes any sense, I know it's kind of a huge distinction, but I mean, that's uh, that's like the I don't know, the only thing that like kind of comes to mind for me. Um, uh, what about you? What was the question that you particularly found interesting? What was what? What was the question that uh, you wanted to bring up? Um, I didn't go through these. I'm not prepared. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, okay, let's go with uh, this one. Um. When Heidi finally escapes from Fritz, she flees to London, where she secures an introduction to Louis B. Mayer, the head of MGM Studios. Were you surprised by the parallels between the harassment Heidi faced as part of the Hollywood system and the more recent Me Too movement? Do you believe significant strides have been made in the intervening years? Um, see, I don't follow enough of this to really feel like I can talk to it um and also i think i read this book a little differently than what these questions are really like asking so why don't you start this off and then i'll yeah i'll try and definitely yeah so i mean again you know 30s 40s 50s 60s honestly i would like to say that there have been a lot of changes made but it, it hasn't there's there is little change I can see and confidently say that, you know, things are different. Because if there was, you know, these allegations of sexual assault would be very far and few in between. But, I mean, you look at what Heidi went through and then you look at to what, you know, the Harvey Weinstein case, for example, 
you know, it's just years and years built up of, you know, so many people basically, you know, trading their asses to keep food on their table. And sure, you know, there are some who do take advantage of the system and, you know, try to get ahead. But I mean, it doesn't necessarily make what, you know, the producers, you know, either back then or today, you know, doesn't make what they're doing, you know, right. Um, it's, how can I say this? Yeah, you, you're treated as, you know, you're, you're treated as, as, a, as a commodity. And your value wears out, you know, the quicker you age. And that can make you desperate if you are being treated like that. I mean, you start to you start to feel a, a clock ticking, and that'll definitely like warp and change your sense of self. Um, you know, just, like, just being you know a, you know a former actor myself, you know, like <laughs> when when you want a very specific role and you see the the obstacles ahead. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say that it can be very tempting to to go a certain route for a certain a certain security. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's so much that can be said for all of it. And as a woman myself, like it, I think the one positive change I am seeing now versus what I assume, you know, the world was like 70, 80 years ago is the fact that there are a ton more women now who are brave enough to stand up and at least talk about it. So I do think that that one sliver of change is starting to happen and while I, I wish I could, like, honestly just snap my fingers and make it go away and make all of this, like, all of this just disappear, basically. Especially, you know, the wrongdoings against women and all of that. And in this, like, field, actresses, in life, in general, everything, I feel like the steps we're taking now to make sure that we're talking about it and putting it out there and making sure we're being heard I hear a lot more now than I did 10 to 15 years ago. Like as a, even as a teenager, you didn't hear a lot about anything going on, but now we can start to see women that are coming out and being like, this is the abuse that I've taken. And this is, you know, the changes that should be made to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So I do think that there's that little bit of, you know, that hope that we're changing. And I know that people don't, you know, necessarily always learn from their mistakes. And so exactly like what you were saying, with like Trump and everything, history can tend to rewrite itself. But I hope now with the ability for women to speak out that we can start continuing to speak out and start making those changes that need to happen. Because like 10 years ago in high school, I mean, no one talked about this stuff, at least not to me. And granted, I was definitely like a recluse. So (laughs) I didn't necessarily go out and you know, learn about it either. But now that I'm in this community that I'm in, 
that I focus on like things that are happening in the world, I think people are at least trying to speak out about it and make it heard. I think it just took way too long for that to happen, though, especially because we're reading a book about a woman that happened in the 1940s and we're now in 2020. So I think it took way too long for that to happen. But I'm hoping we see some positive. Well, actually, I, I think I'm just going to totally backtrack with everything I just said and agree with what you said that, yeah, that they're, you know, OK, I, I guess I guess I can and will say that, yes, there is a lot more, I guess, a lot more, I, I, I don't want to come across as effed up, but um, for a lack of better words, uh, oh, actually, here, here we go. There's a lot more empowerment in coming out with with your story of, of survival. And I think now there's, uh, there's more fervor to hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. And it's i think slowly you know like, like you said you know like very slowly you know people are starting to you know realize their you know, their uh their collective strength you know and coming out together with with their stories um so moving on to the next one kind of touching what kind of touching on what we were going on before um what are some of the differences between the life of Heidi, the movie star and public figure, and Heidi, the scientist and private person? How does the theme of wearing masks appear throughout the novel? Do you feel this divide between women's exterior and interior lives exists today? Do you think modern women still wear these masks? And if so, what sort? So I'll, I'll definitely kick it off, though, and, and say that, yeah, definitely, I feel all women have to wear a mask because, I mean, women I think are more naturally intuitive, you know, when it comes to emotion and reading the rooms. And for sure. It's yeah, it's 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 definitely a matter of survival, unfortunately. You know, it's like you're not you're you, myself as a guy, like I don't necessarily have to question another guy's intention because I mean I you know, I don't have as much to fear in a matter of like, you know, sexual dominance, if, if that makes sense. I mean, like, you know, I don't have to worry about is this person going to harm me? Unless, of course, you know, they come strapped, you know. <laughs> but I mean, um, yeah, whereas I feel like with women, you definitely have to be more, more skillful and adept at reading your audience. And knowing how to properly articulate, you know, what you want. Um, and so I feel like with, with Heidi, the big difference is, is that, you know, like all public figures, you want to see them, you want to see the person that you want to be or that you want to be with. You, know, you don't want to see anything ugly or despairing, and yeah, Heidi was like many act, many actresses. You know, is able to do uh, able to do both. But the biggest difference, though, is that that public appearance. You know, that is the biggest lie that she's living. You know, she herself would rather be, you know, by herself or with certain loved ones. 
and particularly only them. Um, then and she's able to more freely express, you know, her ideas. Whereas with the public, they don't want to hear what you have to say. You know, they want you to either be gracious and thank them for, you know, being a fan or, you know, you to tell them that uh, they're the reason you do what you do. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship where you both kind of get what you want by praising the up, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, going back to the beginning of the question where it talks about what are the, some of the differences between the movie star and the scientist and private person of Heidi, I feel like that's where this book kind of lacked. Um, and I just want to kind of point that out real fast. I might've already kind of touched on it, but you read like 200 pages of this book and only get maybe a handful of sentences that might tell you that she has like an interest in science and an interest in like politics and an interest in like the world around her, but you don't really get like she, they don't, she doesn't really discuss a lot of what's going on you know, in Heidi's mind or what her interests are outside of the marriage to Fritz. And so then you just get this random chapter where she's like, I'm going to build um, this new, you know, technology for torpedoes. And you're just kind of going like, I don't feel like the author really set me up for that for the first like 200 pages of this book. So I kind of mm-hmm. struggled getting into the scientist part of her. But I will tell you that was the most fascinating. I, I feel like maybe you can agree that was more fascinating fascinating for me to like read but um i struggled with that because i don't think the author did a good job in the first 200 pages of the book by leading us up to that um because like i said i think there was only like a handful of sentences but i do think that once she brought in the you know the invention that heidi had decided that she was going to create and once she brought in that part of the story she did a really good job of you know giving you the differences between the mask Heidi wore when she was an actress and then taking off that mask when she was you know um inventing this technology with George which George was a really good character in my mind but um so I do think she did better in the second half of the book um but uh, obviously that's very much I'd like to think that we're going in the right direction nowadays especially with the amount of like publicity that women in the science field get now, Um, like with like the female astronaut coverage that we've had in the last couple of years and just the like, um, especially like the actress. Oh my God. What's her name? She's in the big bang theory. Um, Oh, I'm I'm going to talking about the one um, I was watching this on watch mojo. It was one of those like, so, uh, times celebrities hit back at interviewers and they asked her you know what was it like pretending to be an astrophysicist and she's like well I've actually studied astrophysicism <laughs> that's what I went to school for yeah she's like I, I am an astrophysicist <laughs> and I love that so like her being in the the field that she is now acting and being a scientist like you just kind of see that women can do both and I live for it now. And so it was sad reading Heidi's story because you realize that she didn't feel like she could be both. 
And towards the end, you could kind of, well, that last chapter hit me like a train, but uh, we won't go into that. Spoiler. (laughs) Um, That last chapter like really hurt because, you know, you would hope that there could be like a better outcome for her, especially considering she invented, you know, war changing technology and how whatever it has to do with our cell phones. Um, (laughs) So like she invented technology that changed the world. Um, But I feel like, I still feel like the writing in this book, you could have given a better, like, um, uh, like leading up to that, honestly, but the better transition. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I loved um, when that, when she could take her act, that mask off that she used as an actress to become, you know, that scientist that she became. So, Speaking of transitions, we have our very last commercial break, but we will be right back. Hey there, listeners. It's Ryan. During these crazy and chaotic times, it's important to reach out to the ones you care about, as well as supporting your local independent business owners. One way you can do both is by commissioning an art piece by Bree Randall, the artist of Mess and Design. You can find her work at on Instagram at mess underscore and underscore design, or online at messanddesign.storeenvy.com for premium quality works of art. So now that we are back from our break, kind of had a few uh, few last questions to kind of wrap up our discussion. Uh, so we were briefly talking about the new technology that uh, Heidi helped invent. So some questions about that. Um, what motivated her to create the secret communication system for use with the, the Allies torpedoes? Uh, do you think modern day perceptions about women's abilities might still be unconsciously affected by historical ideas? How might larger events have been impacted if the military hadn't been affected by preconception about women's abilities and had adopted her invention when she offered it? So, what was that first question? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What uh, what motivated her to create the, the secret communication system? For these so mother- allies torpedoes. Well, I think her guilt motivated her the most. Um, and I say that because there was that ship that was taken out that had about 90 children on it. Um, I know I'm going to butcher this. Was it, was it the, the um, Britannia? Or am I, am I thinking of a different ship? Or, or was it the Br- Louisiana? Br- it was like the Brev. Brene, Brenas, uh, finished this book like two hours ago. Uh, <laughs> it was, it wasn't either of those, but it, it was a ship coming over with immigrants. Uh, it had 90 children on it, and it, like, the enemy used a torpedo to take it out. And, um, 
she her guilt of believing that she could have possibly stopped this war from happening which i do not think she should have felt guilty for because one yes one person you know can stop the war but i don't think honestly in her shoes it would have been she did yeah no but um you know she had heard so much information from her husband at the time fritz that she felt like she could have used against him and she could have stopped you know those children from dying and like she felt like how many people could i have saved if i had taken this information i learned and most of the information she learned was like malfunctions that the um you know that fritz who you know had sold weapons to hitler and such and mussolini um he like there were malfunctions in those weapons that he had and i think specifically it was the radar technology or lack thereof of these torpedoes so she had decided you know what i'm going to try and build new technology that the u.s can use um specifically they wanted to sell it to the u.s navy that you know will help tornadoes like communicate to the submarines and the airplanes via like radar technology basically um Mm -hmm. instead of i think at the time they were using like what they described as pieces of string almost connected from submarine to torpedo which is kind of crazy to think of how far we came from that technology but anyways so she was like i'm gonna i have all this information that i got from my ex-husband I'm going to use it to create this new device so that I can possibly save people instead of lose them like they lost those 90 children. So I think her guilt really pushed her to create this new technology. But then her determination to actually finish it is what really, you know, um, helped her keep going, I would say. What about you? No, definitely. I feel like having that guilt, it's... It's, it's it's a form of penance for her. Um, but kind of going on to the other the other questions, though, like, you know, like what would have happened if the military you know, had listened to her? The war would have been over a lot sooner. You know, it just would have been like a quick, like, uh, like a, a slap in the face to Germany real quick and just like, nope, you're done. But, you know, she's... It makes me think... She's just a woman. What does a woman know? Ugh. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to say men are trash. Like, all men are trash, period. Well, <laughs> if you're offended sad... by this, then if you're offended by this, then you're one of those men. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah. What's sad is that she was working alongside a man, though, and they couldn't even respect that. Like, she was building this technology with a man, and he they still didn't even listen. Like she had the respect of, you know, these people, but because she was an actress that kind of, they saw her as only an actress and that man, if I had been in that room when that conversation was going on um, and even worse is I think Heidi at that point kind of let that get to her very, very um, like hard. Like she, she took that. She's like, Oh wow. I am just a woman what can I do as a woman to, you know, help my country or not yeah, help her country, even though she was in the United States at the time. But man, she built this technology and she, it was turned down because she was a woman. And that's. Which kind of leads to the last question. Um, in conclusion to the only woman in the room, Heidi decides to accept the Navy's rejection of her patent and embark on the war bond selling tour the, the Navy offered instead. Uh, how do you feel about Heidi's decision 
and what path would you have wanted her to pursue? How do you believe Heidi viewed her choice and what impact does the time in which she lived affect her options? What's sad is for me at the end, all I could think of was like, you could have fought harder. And I say that because I think she took their words and she, like I said, she kind of just gave into that idea that she was just a woman and all she could be was a pretty face. And I was like, man, find someone else, talk to somebody else, keep pushing, like do something to push your technology on, you know, like, I feel like she kind of gave up at the end. At least that's how this was written. Like, that's why I want to do some more research on this. But I felt like she just kind of gave in. And when they did that scene, yes, she did a great job of being part of that touring company and being that pretty face and raising money for the war efforts. Like, that was, that is still a brave thing to do as, like, especially for her. But I feel like, I don't know if you know this. Um, so she lost, it was patented that technology that she created, but the U S government actually has like um, their own patent on that technology since she didn't get it made. So yeah. while she's like, she's uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word she's given the like credibility of actually coming up with it. The U S government actually has rights to it, mm-hmm. which is kind of really sad because she took that meeting and she was just like, I am a woman. I'm going to go put on a pretty pa- face raise some money and hope that I can do my part then. And, but then the realist in me realizes it was the 1940s. Like what else did she feel like she could do right now in 2020 as a woman, if I was in her shoes, I feel like I could push it more and find a, find a way to get it, you know, to benefit the war versus what she had to end up doing. But it was the 1940s, you know? It's like so sad. Cause it's like, I want to, I want to encourage you. But at the same time, it's like thinking now. I mean, even though things have changed, honestly, I feel like you know, you as you are, I feel like you might get a meeting with someone, but that'd be it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it's one of those things where you know, to to get ahead anywhere. You would have to be a ball bus- a ball busting bitch, yeah, and like that's an unfair title, you know, for someone who's just doing their job and you know pushing for what they want. But you know that's how society treats women who are you know who are strong that way is that you know you're labeled a bitch or you know uh, overly emotional or what have you. And it, again, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't, like. You know, you're you're taking as irrational, and you know you're too heated, and you can't be trusted to make you know these complex decisions. You know, um, but yeah, I, I definitely felt I myself like I shattered. Just like I couldn't imagine just being flatly turned down like that. I mean, something but not, you know, not to that extent you know based on my sex like and then to having to look at that and I mean the only thing I thought that she could have done I mean, yeah you're right you know she could have kept on hounding them and hounding them and hounding them and at, at, at some point though it's like like how much like how much good are you really doing 
trying to get a conversation with somebody who clearly doesn't want to hear you and who will do everything and anything except what you suggest, you know, purely out of spite. You know, it's like, I feel like that time could be spent doing a lot more good in different ways. I mean, it's not the way that you want to help. And I know it, it hurts like hell. And I'm not saying, you know, to accept the status quo. I'm not saying that at all. But at the same time, I am. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's it's it was the unfortunate reality, you know, of her time. And I felt for her, you know, selling those bonds, you know, it's a good thing she was an actress because she, you know, she was able to sell them. But deep inside, like, I can feel just, like, how hollow she must have felt. You know, like, knowing all like so much more she could have done but this is what she's this is what she's been you know reduced to um and like this is gonna sound even more more crappy but i mean if she could have you know she could have let uh george or someone else you know take those meetings as the man, I mean, I know that you know she's she's the main reason why that Wi-Fi technology you know was was created. At the same time, I feel like to an extent, you know, if you really want to make that difference, and you'll. You can to make it happen, regardless of the credit you do or don't get. At the same time, I feel you know, like that need to have like that, like that pride and ownership that comes with that, you know. But at the same time, I mean, I, it, it was you know, in, in in essence, you know, her child that was her almost her everything, you know. I mean. Career aside, yeah, that was her everything. So I can see why she wouldn't have, you know, just let a guy do it and let them be taken more seriously. I mean, like like I said, I I left this book, you know, feeling devastated, but, you know, at the same time, really impressed at what somebody could do um, back in such a very restrictive time. Um, So now it is time to rate the book. Uh, what would you give it on a scale of one to five? I want to say about a three and a half. Um, I ended up rounding down on my Goodreads review. So I gave it a three star, but I want to say it like a solid three and a half for me. I would, I would, I would agree. Like maybe like a 3.75, almost a four, but yeah, I, I agree that there could have been a lot better work with the transition and yeah, it's a, it's a lot more work with, with the transition would have, would have helped and gave a lot more uh, insight. Um, but if someone were to ask you for a recommendation similar to this book, um, what would you suggest? There are uh, two books I also have not read, but I've been thinking about this. One of them is kind of from a different perspective, and I know you're going to know this title, but The Tattooist of Auschwitz. It is more of a... Yes, I've heard so much good things about that one. Yes, it is more of a romance from what I've heard. I need to 
honestly just sit down and read this book. But it is a historical fiction book based off of um, two people that are in a uh, a Jewish like one of the concentration camps and one of the main guys actually someone who um he's jewish but he tattooed uh those numbers on people's arms so it follows him and his love interest i believe during that time so the tattoo is Auschwitz. also there's a book being published this year called universe of two i want to say it comes out this month actually and this is actually um based in world war ii as well and it follows this guy who invented the detonator for the bombs that dropped on um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, uh, yes. And it talks about his guilt in being that creator. So it is a male point of view in world war two. So not necessarily strong women. And I know neither one of the books I just mentioned (laughs) deals with women that are being overshadowed by men, but they are historical fiction books they are based around the same exact time, and I really do like uh, reading historical fiction books during that time. So, so I think I would have to go ahead and recommend um, Marie Benedict's other two novels, The Other Einstein and Carnegie's Maid. Uh, I'm very curious to see what uh, what she did with the first books. Um, the Other Einstein is on my list, too. So... I've heard like a lot of movies from both of them, though. Um, But I'm excited to put those on the to be read. And finally, transitioning to our last uh, our last segment, what have we been reading outside of our podcast selection? Uh, For those who don't know, um, Brittany and I have a have a set list of books to get through uh, for the podcast for you. Um, The one that I am currently. that I currently just finished about a week ago was uh, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo Uh, on your, uh, on your to be read list. um, Evelyn Hugo is the ultimate movie star. Think, you know, um, Rita Hayworth meets Marilyn Monroe meets both Catherine uh, Hepburn and Audrey Hepburn, you know, all put together. Um, legendary starlet who is finally ready to tell her story of her seven marriages, how she made it from uh, New York to becoming a, uh, a screen queen. Uh, there is a lot of scandal, betrayal, manipulation, and of course, all in the comforts of truly opulent wealth. Um, it's <laughs> if you like any of those like old time movies, this is going to be right up your alley. For me, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, for me, I just finished a book that you and I have talked extensively about over this last week, but I just finished The Whisper Man. It is written by Alex North. It is a thriller. Um, it is chilling to say the least it follows a couple of different perspectives but mainly um it's this father writing the story down for his son and his son is young they just lost their mom or i mean that's weird to say um the the dad just lost his wife the son lost his mom and it follows basically 20 years before this happened a serial killer was arrested for killing five boys um and he was called 
the whisper man and basically what he would do is whisper the names of these children get to know these children make them trust him basically very young children i believe to be six or seven years old in age and um he abducts them and kills them and that's basically now in the current time they're realizing that there's possibly a copycat out there doing the same exact thing that the whisper man did and it is a chilling like probably my one of my favorite thrillers i've ever read um, I could not listen to or read it at night. Also, I <laughs> stared out my window. Yeah, I stared out my window a few times, making sure there wasn't anyone standing out there, which I don't know how I was brave enough to do that either. But I uh, highly recommend this book. Um, it's It'll keep you on your toes. And the audiobook, phenomenal. It's written, it's read by uh, Christopher Eccleston, who's on Doctor Who. And he is a phenomenal reader. And his British accent kind of just made you more scared a little, honestly. <laughs> so, uh, right. very good. Cool, I can just hear it right now. Just tonight, before you lay your head down. Really. Yeah. God, yeah that, it definitely, I think it's also a very good story if you want to get more into darker reads, but you're not necessarily sure of like what you're able to handle i think it's definitely a good jumping off point it is yeah that right there is a good place to end it so until next week uh this has been the the page master book review podcast see you guys next time bye Mm -hmm.